Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Psychic Teachers. Before we dive into our show this week, we wanted to take a moment and tell you that as we have merged platforms, there have been some glitches with the playback feature for some of you. Our speaker people are working on this and it seems to be getting worked out. If you're still having issues, please email us at psychicteachers at gmail.com and we will forward your email to the IT people. I also want to tell you about our sponsor for this week's show. It's an app that has allowed me to finally tackle some books I've been wanting to read but just haven't had the time to. Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes so you can read or listen to the best in nonfiction. Eight million people are currently using Blinkist, and it has a massive and growing library, from self-help, business, health, to history books. I used Blinkist this week to listen to The Book by Alan Watts, which discussed big questions like, where do we really exist in the universe, and what's the meaning of it all? If you haven't heard of Alan Watts, he was a New Age philosopher specializing in Zen Buddhism. He's written many famous works, such as The Way of Zen and The Wisdom of Insecurity. I like Blinkist because... If you're like me, I always have to have a book with me. If I get caught waiting at the DMV or stuck in the car school pickup line, it's nice to be able to pull out a book and use that time wisely. Now with Blinkist, I just pull out my phone, click the app, and off I go. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash teachers to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash teachers to start your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash teachers. And now, back to the show. In this episode, we're going to be wrapping up our year-long journey through the hero's journey, and we're going to be applying it to your life and ours and helping you learn to recognize the treasure in your life on your own hero's journey. But before we do that, Deb has pulled a tarot card of the week for us. Would you like to share that? Absolutely. You know, I'm having really a lot of fun doing it this way. The logical teacher in me wants to go through the tarot in order. And you and I agreed that I was not going to do it that way, that we were just going to trust what comes up. And so I am. And as you all know, I am, of course, a big advocate of the traditional weight rider deck. And I work primarily from Eden Gray's The Complete Guide of Tarot. So the key that came up for today is the Seven of Cups. And this is one of my favorite keys in the deck. It pictures a man wearing black standing in front of 
an array of seven cups, each of which contains an aspect uh, of his life or the spiritual or psychic world around him. So there is one cup that uh, has a castle in it, one with jewels, one with a wreath of victory with a skull below it, a red dragon of temptation, the head of a fairly lovely woman, the serpent of jealousy, and the covered figure of the man's own angel shimmering with a divine light. So each of these cups represents some lesson, some aspect of the man's world in which he needs to learn from or to connect with or to dismiss from his life. So Eden Gray says that the meaning of this key is that it's about dreams and castles in the air and imagination that has been working overtime. She maintains that this key is about illusionary success, she calls it. For me, when I'm doing a reading and this this key shows up, it is about dream work often. I mean, it's about the need to pay attention to the symbols in our dreams. But it's also about making choices and decisions about what you really want in your life and what you really want to connect to and what you really need to let go of and opening yourself up to meanings and symbols that are presented before you. So that's the Seven of Cups for me. It's like asking you to ground your dreams into practical action steps and to right. pick one of those cups in a way. Now, sometimes when this card shows up for me in relationship readings, it can indicate that you're seeing someone with rosy expectations that might not be reality. I always interpret this key as an internal key. So about what's going on inside the person, not, mm-hmm. like, not in somebody else. So that's interesting. Well, it is still what's going on inside of them. It's, it's what they're choosing to see. Okay, Samantha, let's talk about the hero's journey and get this hero person back home. It's been a while since we discussed the hero's journey, so let's just review quickly. In the Good. hero's journey, we've moved from the ordinary world. We've gotten the call answered the call, and then refused the call. Along that way, we have met our mentor, crossed the threshold. It is in this stage that we encounter the female and male aspects of ourselves in the symbolism of the god and goddess. And this is where we transcend duality and achieve unison with ourselves and the divine. This is the stage where we often encounter test allies and enemies. Then, through this union and atonement, is when we actually find the treasure. So this is is where we are now on the hero's journey. We've discovered the treasure. Now, the treasure on your own journey, remember, Deb and I have said several times, there isn't one hero's journey in each lifetime. You might have several hero's journeys. You might go on a treasure to find, your treasure quest might be to find love. It might be to find the best job for you now. It might be to find the best pet for you and your family now. It, there's many, many, many different hero's journeys you can go on. So the treasure depends on what your journey is. Now, typically in myths and movies and books, the treasure is an actual thing. It's a, it's something that the society needs to survive or to, or to achieve a victory. But often in our own hero's journey, the treasure is much more abstract than that. It might be our personal truth, a realization. It might be an aspect of success we're seeking. Once the hero achieves this treasure, 
then the hero is called back to the ordinary world. And they know that they have to take this treasure and bring it back to the ordinary world and share it. Often, Joseph Campbell says, this is when the hero refuses to return. They don't want to leave this happy world. They don't want to leave this blissful state of achieving this treasure. They don't want to go back to the ordinary world. And yet they realize that they must because what they have achieved must be shared because ultimately union is the goal of all quests. Now, upon the hero's return to the ordinary world, we must meet at least one more challenge. And that's when it's really solidified for us that we can face these challenges. And then we return and we share our treasure. And here is what Joseph Campbell says is when we realize we have mastered two worlds and now we have true freedom. So that's quite a journey, wouldn't you say, Tim? I really would. You know, as you're talking, Samantha, of course, anytime I think of the hero's journey, the synonym for that for me is a quest. It's synonymous with the idea of of searching for something that may or may not be tangible and may or may not be attainable. And so as you're as you're talking about this and the need to find this, that for which you are questing, the ultimate boon is what Campbell calls it. You don't want to leave such perfect bliss. In one of the many Arthurian legends that are out there, Lancelot finds the Holy Grail and he is so enraptured and enthralled with it that in some legends he dies. He is so overcome by the power of connection to the grail. In other legends, the grail is brought back and is then hidden again. And so, you know, so who knows? But there is this moment of, I don't want to leave this ecstasy that has overcome me with this feeling that's going on here. And yet we must. And to come forth back towards home is to face more challenges. Somebody's going to try to take it away from you. Somebody's going to challenge you. And eventually, when you make it home with whether you've hidden the object or or the goal of your quest away in some way, or whether you bring it home and put it out in the light, you're not the same person. You're different. Even just going on the quest has made you a different person. And you have to learn to live in both worlds as a different person. When you can get there, when you can get to that place of acceptance of those two worlds, that's when the freedom comes. When you can learn that balance. Right, exactly. One of the most popular shows you and I have done was the episode we did on Are You Going Through a Spiritual Awakening? And I think if you look at the steps of a spiritual awakening, it's very much in sync with the hero's journey. And oftentimes the hardest part of the spiritual awakening is after you've had the awakening, meaning after you have found the treasure. You are now awakened. You now know the truth. You know that there is more out there than what we can see with our eyes and smell with our nose and hear with our ears. Once you've had that awakening and you have to continue on in your ordinary world, sometimes that last challenge of the hero's journey, that last challenge of the spiritual awakening is the hardest part because just what you said, it's you realize that you are different and people that you know and love might not understand you as much. You might not understand the people around you as much. You might be questioning a lot of things you've always been taught and told to believe. And that feeling, sometimes in a way, that last challenge isn't so much an external challenge of people saying, oh, I don't like this new you anymore. Often it's more of an internal challenge of this feeling of loneliness and isolation. 
where you feel misunderstood or as though you don't fit in anymore or you don't know where your place is. You don't know how to go back to the ordinary world. I think it's important to point out that, that this is a temporary phase. Now, if you're in that stage right now of your spiritual awakening, it's not going to feel like that forever. You will learn to assimilate to this new norm. But there is, at least for me, there was a little bit of a grieving process. You know, when you grieve the old life, you grieve the old you. Because before an awakening, before a quest, before the treasure is found, there's kind of a simplicity to that ordinary world. Don't you think? Yes, I do. And I think that at some point, when when you accept the gift, when you accept the boon, as Campbell calls it, when you reach for the grail, you accept the responsibility that goes with it. And you may not conceptualize it as that immediately in the heat of the moment of how exciting and wonderful and do all of this is and world that you've stepped into and how different it is and, and how cool it is. And yet you also at some point will be faced with the responsibility of that world. That's I think when things begin to, to settle down on your mind and think, oh wait, it might have been better not to have gotten here. It was a lot easier back over here in the old world. I mean, I think about Bilbo Baggett. I mean, he was not really excited about this, right? He liked living in his hobbit world. Yet, you know, things changed and here they went. So I think we do that too. Some more about that responsibility. What does that look like? You've got the treasure. You're bringing it back to the ordinary world. So what is the responsibility in terms of the hero with that treasure or boon? One of my favorite songs in the whole world is If We Only Have Love by Jacques Brel from his amazing musical entitled Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris. And the line says, and we'll drink from the grail to be born once again. And what I think, one of the interpretations for me of that line from Braille's song is that we accept the challenge of the gift. And when we are born again, and not necessarily in a religious way, but we are different, we are new. And that means that we are learning we are growing. We have a different way of being in the world that has a huge responsibility. For example, anybody who has taken my tarot courses knows that one of the first things we talk about are the code of ethics of reading tarot, of being a responsible tarot reader. And so here we are, and I remember being so excited when I got that deck of tarot cards and Oh, wow, I was going to learn all of this stuff. I remember the woman who told me, the psychic who told me that the cards were coming to me. And her exact words were, be careful of your words because people will believe you. And that sentence sent an arrow through my gut of, oh, my golly, this just isn't fun and games. This is a huge responsibility. It's not one I've ever taken lightly. So taking the grail, choosing to accept the responsibility meant being responsible for what I was doing. Right. Part of that responsibility is also discernment because not everybody is going to be ready for the treasure you now have. You need to sit with it for a while. I know for me, whenever I learn something, I mean, God knows, that's why I do the podcast because I can't shut up. Whenever I learn something, (laughs) I want to share it with everybody, you know? And and I just think everybody's going to be as interested in what I've just learned as I am. And there's an arrogance to that that I've had to learn to temper and deal with because, no, not everybody wants to hear what I've just learned or studied or realized or found out in in a meditation. 
I remember when I read The Course of Miracles and it had such a profound impact on me. And if you read nothing but that first sentence, you know, where it just says, there are only two emotions, love and fear, and only love is real. I mean, just that one sentence alone changed my life. And when I started understanding really what that meant, I wanted to share it with everybody. And so people would be talking to me about something they were afraid of. And I would say, oh, that's just fear. And it's not real. People don't want to hear that. They just want you to hear them. And so I think part of the responsibility is discerning who, when, where, and how you share that treasure. You know, one of the things I had to learn, Samantha, I will want to share with somebody who doesn't necessarily walk this path, but who has appeared at least somewhat receptive. So I'll Mm -hmm. be talking away and chitty-chatting along the way, and they're very silent. And I'm thinking, oh, how cool. They're just soaking all of this in. Isn't this great? And then I later learn they're going, what the hell? You are on another planet, chick. (laughs) Exactly. That's not always a good feeling, is it? No. And, And, you know, you and I have certainly had this conversation Dale and I, a lovely friend Dale Rutman and I, have had a lot of conversation lately about information that she is getting from her guides and a person, a being that she, information from whom she channels. And if you have been a regular listener to this podcast, you know I have this being called who presents as Mary Magdalene, who has been channeling information to me, and I have been getting a lot. I mean, I have been writing as fast as I can, some of the information that has been coming to me in meditation from that. And I'm not ready to share that with you all yet because I'm afraid you'll think I'm not. Right. You have to know who you can share some of your woo-woo with, and that can take some time. Sometimes just that knowledge, that discernment is its own treasure. And it's how you say it sometimes. In our January book club, we talked about Illusions by Richard Bach. And there's a scene where Don Shimoda, who is the Messiah, is being interviewed on a radio show in the middle of the wheat fields of the middle of the country. And he's being asked questions by the interviewer and by people who are calling into the show. And he could have answered their questions in a very benign non-threatening kind of way about what he believed and saw in the world. And he didn't. He kind of goaded the conversation into a much more threatening kind of way that the people were not nearly as receptive to. And I think that that's another piece of the responsibility is how we say the information that we get, how we tell folks or not what we're receiving. And that's a part of this return of coming back and knowing that there's nobody out there who's going to rescue us. It's got to be just us and what we choose to do with what we've got. I thought what we could do is tell people how our own spiritual awakening in terms of our intuitive abilities is parallel to the hero's journey. So we could kind of demonstrate for people how they can look at their own life and some of their extraordinary experiences and see it as their own hero's journey. But before we do that, I thought we'd take our quick break. Okay, great. I am offering my book club, my monthly book club. And in January, I had so many folks who signed up for that, that we ended up, I ended up having to close it out so there would be enough room for everybody to have an opportunity to talk. So if you're interested in joining me for the book club this month, it's Thursday, February 21st at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. And the book we're talking about is Testimony of Light by Helen Greed. So you'll need to email me at debandfriends at gmail.com and let me know you want to join us. And certainly, very helpful, please, if you will have read the book. And then first weekend in March, 
I am doing a weekend, well, it's a, a day-long retreat for folks who would like to honor themselves and each other as wise people. So it's a croning ceremony. So you can find out about the book club and the croning ceremony and a retreat that I have coming up in April all on my website, debbowen.com. That sounds awesome. I love that book so much. I hope I know me too. I have an advanced mediumship webinar coming up in March and April. It's for anyone who has taken the Mediumship 101 webinar. In this advanced class, we're going to be teaching you more about connecting with animals, medical intuition. There's going to be lots more hands-on practice and some live in-class practice as well. That is going to be night times in April, April 4th, 11th, 18th, and 25th from 7 to 8.30. And it's going to be during the day in March, March 8th, 15th, 22nd, and 29th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. So you can find out more about that by going to Enlightened Empaths on our Facebook page and clicking the links there. So what I was thinking, Deb, is that we could take the journey of the hero and we could each compare it to our spiritual awakening. So, for example, when I was in the ordinary world, I was teaching at the community college I was married, I had two kids, and was about to have a third, and that was my world. I was consumed with mothering, teaching, and all of that. Where were you in your ordinary world? Um, I was working in the training industry. I was teaching people to operate machinery in paper mills. I was writing instruction manuals. I was an old beach girl. I was, a you know, kind of happy-go-lucky. I worked and did this stuff, and... I had a group of friends, particularly Granny Jean and our lovely palm leader and our lovely friend Joel, who were my cohorts on beginning to investigate the metaphysical world. And we started out fascinated by ghosts and the paranormal. And so that was kind of a side evocation for us at that time in our lives. But, you know, mostly I was working in the technical field and had a group of friends who were musicians and so my big excitement of the weekend was going someplace and listening to my friends play old rock and roll. So Ghost was your gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> it was my gateway drug. I guess it was. I guess so. You know, and and by then, I guess I had, because I'd been reading from, I guess, early high school when, when Ruth Montgomery wrote her, her biography of Jean Dixon and her work as a psychic and her prediction about John Kennedy's death. That opened a whole big door for me. So all through high school, I read voraciously about Ruth Montgomery and Jean Dixon and Arthur Ford and Edgar Cayce. So that path was being paved by literature about famous psychics even back then. I think it's important if you're trying to figure out what your hero's journey is to look at your interest as a child and an adolescent because I call those echoes of the call and often you'll see little breadcrumbs that have been leading you this this way the whole time. Now, my Mm. call started with a crystal just appearing on my desk at work, and that led to me getting into crystals, which led to me getting into Reiki and doing the Reiki every day on myself, which really just forced me to meditate every day, awakened this latent ability inside of myself, and I started having dreams of my husband at the time getting shot in the line of duty. I did not want those dreams. I did not want those images. I definitely refused that call. 
I did not want to be weird or strange or other or different. I didn't want to be psychic. And so I, I tried to ignore it for a long time. How did, how did you get the call and refuse it? Well, I would, I guess because of, there was a, a growing group of people in, in our town in those days who were really interested in metaphysical thought that was just beginning to come along in the 1970s. And my actual call from that first psychic I saw, who one of the first things she said to me in my first reading with her was, you should be reading Tarot. And I remember thinking, oh, no, I, I'm not really psychic. Now, my mom is psychic, but I'm not really psychic. And I, I don't know if I can do this. And I had had a Tarot reading from a friend who used the Weight Rider deck. And I remember just being mesmerized by the symbols on the cards in front of me. But I know what they meant, of course. I had no idea how she was interpreting those cards to say what she was saying. But I was also at that time studying Carl Jung's work. I had just begun a training program to be certified to teach short courses based on the work of Carl Jung. So I think that was an underpinning of the call that I at that time did not realize. Later I was able to look back and say, oh, there was this preparation work going on that I wasn't even aware of at the time. So that that was my call, I think. Kind of that. 2020 hindsight, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, hard hard to see in the moment. I feel that I answered the call in that little chapel in the hospital when uh, Mike had just got pneumonia and they couldn't get the trachea. It, it was bad and they thought that he wouldn't make it through that night. And I just went into the chapel and got on my knees and said my rosaries. And I realized that everything I had been dreaming was coming true, and and my sister and my two best friends, you know, they kept saying, this is what you saw for the last, you know, three weeks, this is what you've been talking about. And so I sat in that chapel on my knees, and I said, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it, but you've got to make that man live. And that's how I answered the call. So sometimes the call is difficult to answer. Sometimes it's a bargain with God. (laughs) I didn't bargain. I didn't do that because for me, while I'm talking about my beginnings here in terms of my work with Tarot, there was so much more to it. So many doors flew open at one time. This same psychic in that first meeting said, do you have a crystal? And I said, no. She said, I'll send you one. And she did. And I wore that crystal around my neck from 1982, I think it was, until maybe three or four years ago, when it finally just broke. It had done all it could do. The stone just basically crumbled. So, you know, the door opened in so many directions because I was exactly at the right place at the right time for a zeitgeist of energy, of crystals and tarot and chakra work and and all of this stuff all came into being at the same time time around me and I was like a kid in a candy store I just accepted it all I believed it all to be true not saying that I don't anymore I'm not I'm not saying that but I am saying that it took me a while to realize I needed to ask for the gift of discernment to say no some of this isn't yet mine and uh, you know everybody on this show has certainly heard me tell the story of the runes and how they don't resonate for me but but there were other things along the way where I said 
no, this this isn't mine, to wait back up. And that refusal of the call, I can't, and I tell this story in my tarot classes, I read cards for myself for a year before I would read for anybody else, except for a couple of close friends, and I would say to them, do not trust me, do not believe me, I am going to read to you out of this book, because yeah. I knew what a huge responsibility that was. I think that's so important. You have to study this, and then you have to, you know, I did free readings for a year. I needed strangers. I couldn't read for friends. I was too inhibited. I was too embarrassed. I was lacking confidence. So I just put it out to our local metaphysical store, to people that were in my intuitive development classes, that I would do free readings for anyone who wanted them. And I did that for a year, and that helped tremendously. Now, in that stage where we meet our mentor, it's listed in most of Joseph Campbell's writings as a singular mentor. I think that that should be plural because it's very rare that you have one mentor. I think some people do. But my mentors came in the form of teachers. You were my tarot teacher. I had an intuitive development teacher. I had those three practice clients were my teachers. And a lot of negative people were my teachers as well during that time. So I, I don't think that the mentor is necessarily singular. I think you can find your mentor in many different varieties and places. One of my oh, mentors was my department chair, who you know, who gave me that blank schedule and said, try this, just just try this. You can always come back here, but you need to share this with people. That was a huge push and gift for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think... You know, certainly Granny Jean and Joel were were not only colleagues along the path, but, but mentors we were for each other along the way. And I had many, many others. And certainly writers, people whose books I read. Well, Shirley MacLaine. And I know that lots of us have a lot of differing opinions about Shirley MacLaine, but her book opened a whole new world to me, and partly because she was so brave to take mm-hmm. the ridicule that she got to say, I, I believe in this stuff. It's it's a different way of being. So books, music. I had tons of music that mentored me. That was just at the beginning of what back then was called New Age music. Today I think we now call a lot of it spa music. But uh, folks like Kataro and Lance and Spear and, and even, even Yanni later when he came along. Some of that music, I mean, to the celestial realms, Sea Peace by Georgia Kelly. Just amazing music. And music still informs so much of my practice and my beliefs. Mm -hmm. So I think there are many ways of meeting the mentor. And I think our test allies and enemies, the challenges where we're in that innermost cave or the belly of the whale, I think a lot of that is external influences, people doubting you, questioning you, people asking you, how does this line up with your beliefs? People saying, I think this is of the devil. I think you're doing evil work. I think you're reading people's minds and not connecting to the other side. All of that is a test and an enemy. But I think really for most of us, the biggest test and enemy is within ourselves, with our own self-doubt and our own fears. Do you agree? I do. And I think we reach those dark nights of the soul. And we certainly have had a zillion communications with our listeners who have said, This was too scary. I got this stuff early on in life and it was frightening and I didn't have any support and I had to back away from it. And now I'm ready to send out feelers and try it again. And that time of not working with your gifts is that belly of the whale time. I think that's a piece of what we go through is having to say, whew, I can come back out of this and when I can, I'm willing to face the challenges and and move on and trust 
what I've been given. But this is also the stage where we meet our allies. And certainly you have been an ally on my journey. I have several other metaphysical, spiritual, like-minded friends that have been tremendous allies. And so you will find your allies even during this difficult stage of the journey. You'll find your tribe, as they say. Absolutely true. And once and once you say, okay, I can go, here I go again, I know there are going to be trials and tribulations along the way, but I can do this. And who knows? This is where that's that road less taken or so many forks in the road and where are you going. And at some point, you have to learn to trust that you will be shown the right path, the right road, even though there may there will be, um, may be, but will be, trials along the way and challenges. It's the road you were meant to take. I guess one of the things that is an underpinning of my belief system is that there is a divine plan, that there is a universal knowledge, a gigantic mind that is far bigger than mine, a life force that guides me and teaches me and that I have to learn to trust it. And I've had to learn that lesson a million times in my life. I have to relearn it over and over and over again. And every time I get it, I go, oh, yeah, okay, cool. This is the way it was meant to be. I'm okay. Exactly. But we need that reminder sometimes that we need to learn that lesson again. And and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. For me, the treasure that I discovered was that I do have this intuitive ability. But the true treasure I discovered through teaching is that we all have this intuitive ability. Absolutely. A part of the stage before that of meeting the goddess and atoning with the god, part of that stage for me was researching and realizing how society, culture, and some religions have really tried to hide that secret from us. I truly believe that the real secret isn't that you can manifest the car you wanted by thinking about it. I think the true secret is that we are all so much more powerful than we know. And for me personally, that's the real treasure that I've discovered. I would agree with you that we are all more powerful than we would ever, ever imagine. But I would also add to that, that part of what makes us so powerful is that we are all the same. That yeah. we're all one energy force. Matakiasi, say my Lakota friend. And I believe that, you know, so quantum physics. And when when I can realize that that I'm just pulling from the energy of a gigantic grid, energy grid, and I'm just one piece of that, that also gives me the idea of connection. And that connection is one of the things that gives me strength and gives me that power. And sharing that strength and sharing that treasure and sharing some of that understanding is the reason why we do this podcast. So we hope that this has been helpful to you, and we hope that this will give you an idea of looking at your own life and trying to break it down through the stages of the hero's journey and see where you are on that path. Because we all will revisit different stages of this journey again and again, like the labyrinth, like the spiral. But each time we go into the inner recesses of the spiral, we grab another treasure. We grab another piece of the quest. And as we spiral back out, we can share it with others so that when others spiral back in, they have more of that boon to realize their own piece of the treasure so that when they spiral back out, they can share it. So, yes, we are all one and we are all sharing what we are learning. And we are all learning to be compassionate 
with a loving heart for everyone on this journey, wherever they are on their journey, without judgment. Is it Baba Ramdas who says we're just walking each other home? I yes. believe I'm quoting that correctly. And I, I love that. I do I too. Love that. So thank you everybody so much for listening. As we wrap up the hero's journey, we will be back with you next week with another exciting episode. In the meantime, I wanted to mention that we are sponsored by Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash psychic teachers, you can try Audible free for one month. This week I'm recommending a book I read like 15 years ago, and I can't wait to listen to it again on Audible. It's called The Master of All Desires by Judith Merkel Riley. It starts off about the Queen's astrologer, Nostradamus, in 1556, and through his prophecy, he uncovers a secret that could destroy the kingdom of France. So his queen, Catherine de' Medici, a dabbler in black magic herself, decides to get rid of the king's mistress by seeking out the legendary undying head of Menander the Magus, known as the Master of All Desires. And so it's about how this stubborn young woman who is the hero or heroine of this journey helps to combat this and save France. It's a really good book. It's The Master of All Desires by Judith Merkel Riley. And you can listen to that by going to audibletrial.com slash psychic teachers. I love her work. She was just an amazing writer. She really was. Good. Thank you for that suggestion. Wonderful. So thank you all so very, very much for being with us, not only in this week's episode, but through our discussion over the past months about the hero's journey. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope that you will also enjoy the new series that we are embarking upon. We did earlier this month as we began with Imbolt in the Wheel of the Year and the Holidays in Earth-Based Spirituality. So thank you for listening and being a part of our journey in many different ways. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week and be the light for yourself and others. Take care.